One of the reasons we come together is to remind ourselves what life is all about. We need a bit of a reminder of that, don't we? In fact, I think we, I don't know about you, but I need a weekly reminder of that uh, because it's very easy just to slightly lose a sense of what life is all about and the busyness uh, of things. And so to come together and get us all pointing in the same direction, this is where we're going, this is what life's about, it's incredibly important. There's a lot of reasons why we come together. I mean, the first and foremost is to make a public demonstration of what's most important in life, right? That's why we're here, this is a public demonstration of putting God first. But when we do come together, we're gonna remind ourselves what life is all about. That's what I wanna focus on today. My goal today and with this series that I'm gonna be embarking on and um, I'm gonna be doing this in particular probably about every second week and be working away at this something that I feel is very necessary for us in this place and time. Now there are a lot of different amazing voices that we have that speak into the life of the church and I love that variety and we wanna continue to cultivate that variety and the variety of different voices, we'll do that for my part. One of the things I feel like we need to rebuild again as Christians is, is, a, is a framework, is a, is a way of thinking, a Christian way of thinking. And this is so important because it's gonna make all the difference in your life. And my goal today and my goal very much for this series is to help construct that frame that framework, that way of thinking, that biblical way of thinking that is gonna enable you to navigate through your lives. What often happens, what I find often is Christians, particularly in our day and age where there's a lot of cultural pressure and, and a lot of information coming at us from all different directions, is that we, we, we believe Christian things and we remember the you know, Bible verses and very, in a very fragmentary way, but we have a tendency as Christians to think about those things within a very secular framework. And this causes a kind of dissonance for a lot of people and I've noticed this increasingly as a pastor and in conversations, this sort of dissonance that comes from believing Christian things and knowing parts of the Bible, which is all great, but thinking about that within a framework that is more taken from our secular world than from the Bible. I had a friend once that went to Egypt and uh, he flew into Cairo and he got in a taxi and he showed the taxi driver a map and he said, you know, I wanna find this place and the map was of course in English, so the, but the taxi driver looked and, at the map you know, and, and started driving and, and and at different points, he would look back at the map and, and, and he was, it felt like he was going around in circles. And at one point, he even got out of the taxi and showed the map to another taxi driver that he met. <laughs> and they were going around and around. And, and my friend was getting more and more frustrated and angry because like, what is this guy doing? And he thought, he's trying to rip me off. This guy's trying to rip me off and get more fair. And eventually, he, you know, he, he said, right, stop stopped the car, right, that's it, and he paid him off, and then he got out and he got on the street and he pulled his map out and his, and his suitcase, and then he looked at his map and he realised it was actually a map of Alexandria, not Cairo. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like that's, that, it's that experience that a lot of Christians actually have, right? Because it's like, the, it, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to navigate through life, but we've got the wrong map, right? And it just, and we get angry and we feel ripped off and we need to understand what this life is all about. And that's my focus today. What is this life all about? Now life, and I'm gonna, okay. 
warning, I'm going to use some diagrams. A bit, initially, it's going to be a bit teachy because I have to lay down some real fundamentals. So, we need to understand life, and I've got, I'm going to use some diagrams. Is that all right? Oh, diagrams. Who loves a diagram? I'm going to try and picture this for you. Okay, life is, we need to understand life in terms of three relationships. First of all, our relationship with God, and there'll be an image coming on the screen, relationship with God and a relationship with each other that goes both ways because it's not just about individual others, but community. Life is about first relationship with God, then relationship with the community, and our relationship with creation because the language that is used to describe our relationship with creation is relational language. It talks about ruling over the creation. It's not ruling as in exploiting, it's ruling as in the biblical sense of ruling as in serving, and it's a relational term. And it's, so this three-way relationship is really important. Now, here's the thing, that because our relationship with God went wrong, then the whole thing went wrong. Because the relationship with God is the keystone bit of this. And when human beings fell away from God, when human beings rebelled against God, the whole thing went terribly wrong. Suddenly we're, we're, you know, we're looking for other people to fulfill things that only God can fulfill and that causes all sorts of tension in relationships. Suddenly we are exploiting our environment rather than relating it to it the way that we are. It's just the whole thing goes wrong. Now, I wanna give you a snapshot of what the history of the world, no less, <laughs> looks like from a biblical point of view because there's, a, there's an amazing symmetry to the whole of the Bible, which is amazing because it's all different writers and yet there's such a ma amazing, because of the inspiration of the Spirit, there's amazing consistency in the picture that we get in the Bible. I want you to have a look at this next uh, diagram. This is a snapshot of what world history looks like. The interesting thing, when you read the early chapters of the Bible, you get the sense that this place, this earth, which is created to be our home, it's described very much like it's a temple. It's a sacred space where God is to live in harmony with his people. It's almost this sense that this world is like, that the physical universe is like the physical facet of heaven in some sense. So it's the two are really the one. There's not a separation between the two in that early stage as it's described in Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden and so forth. But then what happens when human beings rebel against God, the language changes and you start getting this sense of separation between the realm of the earth, which is now a realm in rebellion, even though God is present in the earth, but because human beings rule over the earth, we, this becomes a realm in rebellion. So there's this kind of separation and it's not, it's often described spatially, but that's the classic picture language of the Bible. They are two realms in conflict with each other. That's why we're taught to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was not even an issue in the, at the beginning, but it's become an issue, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you get this heaven, you get this sense that while God is present, yet in some sense, there's this separation. But all the way through scripture and from the beginning of the story, you get this sense that God is gonna bring the two back together again 
And it begins, who remembers the story of Jacob when he had that dream about the ladder? And the ladder was extended from earth to heaven and angels were ascending and descending up and down the ladder because God was going to do something about the separation. And ultimately, ultimately, the great act of reconciliation occurred when God himself came to us incarnate as a man and suffered and died on a cross to take away the guilt, so, our guilt so that we could be reconciled with God. And so ultimately, and we're going to talk a bit about the future in a moment so that ultimately the two could come back together again. But here's the thing, not yet, not yet. Next diagram. I want to zoom in. This is where we find ourselves. And I'm specifically now talking, this is why I talk about the meaning of this life. Because there's something very important about this particular age in which we live, and this is what I wanna focus on today. There's something very important that we need to understand and know that if you get this, it will change your life. Throughout the New Testament, there is this sense, and Jesus announced this, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. But the, this rebellious state still kind of continues, and yet, so the kingdom is come, and yet it's also spoken of as future in some sense. So it's like breaking into the present. There's this kind of overlap. There's this sense in which the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ, but there's still something in the future. The fulfillment, the fullness is still coming in the future. And so there's a sense of something already. We have a taste of something. We, the New Testament talks about the, us receiving the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in our heart. The first fruits. That means there's a fullness yet to come. And so there's this tension in this age of waiting, something is already and yet something is not yet. Now I wanna talk about the future because the best way to understand our present lives is by understanding the future. But I, wanna, I want us to understand what the Bible says about, you know the Bible talks about the future. It's useful to know what's going to happen in the future. And I think a lot of Christians get this wrong because uh, we, we live in ways that betray, that we misunderstand actually what now is about because we misunderstand what's, what's going to happen in the future. I want to talk about this particular, what, what did Jesus say about the unfolding of this age that we're in right now? Well, he said a few things about this actually. First of all, Jesus said that the kingdom of God that he was ushering in was going to spread like yeast through the dough. There's the parable of the yeast and the mustard seed in Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus made a remarkable, a remarkable prediction. He predicted to 12 very ordinary guys, I may say, that the movement that was beginning with that little motley band was going to spread throughout the earth. Man, 
Nothing could have been more unlikely than that. He says the kingdom of God is like yeast that spreads all through the dough, the dough being the world. The kingdom of God, he said, it's like a little, mus- a little mustard seed that grows into a great tree and all the birds of the air take shelter in its branches. The kingdom is gonna spread throughout the earth. And you know what? It's happening. It's happened. And it's happening. This remarkable, nothing could have been more unlike. So I suggest that we listen to the other things that Jesus said about the future. Because he didn't just say that. It's a remarkable prediction. A lot of people wonder, so are things gonna get better or are things gonna get worse? And the answer is both. It's what I'm gonna describe as the polarization effect. This is the second aspect of this age, the polarization effect. This comes, it's described in a number of different ways in the New Testament, but it's illustrated beautifully in Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds in a field. They're almost indistinguishable at first, wheat and weeds, which is which, but as time goes on, the wheat comes to fruition. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming to fruition, right? But at the same time, so are the weeds coming to fruition and the two are growing together and the more that they grow, the more polarized things become. And so things, get worse because they get better and they get better because they get worse because the light shines brightest in the darkest places. Because where the light shines brightly, the shadows are all the darker, aren't they? That's called polarization. So if you feel like things are getting dark, take heart because in the darkness, the light shines the brightest. And that's what we see happening. That's what we see predicted. Not defeat, folks, not defeat, but victory. It's an amazing thing about the book of Revelation. <laughs> like things are going to the dogs in the earth. Like politic, it's like the whole world system is crumbling. And yet, you know, there's this rejoicing in heaven. Yay, praise you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Victory, victory, victory. You think, what is going on here? Because the darker the night, the brighter the light. That's the story of this age. Let's talk about the future. The future, future. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's very important to know Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Everything else that he said has come to pass. Everything else that Jesus said has, coming to pa- has come to pass. And Jesus said, I am coming back. He says, I am coming back to finally destroy all evil. To bring that final judgment and to usher in a new creation. Now, there are lots of bits in between. <laughs> This is the thing, when the Bible describes the future, 
There are certain things that are very distinct and clear, but there are lots of gray areas and theologians can you know, have debates about the gray areas and that's fine. We need to be okay with not knowing things. In our information age, we're not very good about that because we have a tendency in our age to feel that knowing the truth should mean knowing all the truth, but we just don't. We're told what we need to know. And what we need to know is that in some sense, in some very obvious and grand and amazing sense, Jesus is coming back. So firstly, Jesus will return. Secondly, he will raise up the dead. There will be a physical resurrection of the dead. We were created to live as physical beings on a physical earth. That's how it was, that's what God meant it to be. And God is gonna bring about a new creation and that involves a physical resurrection of the dead. Then there will be a great day of judgment. A great day, such was the authority that God gave to human beings that our choices matter. The choices that we, and the only choice that will matter on that day is did you entrust your life to Jesus or did you not? There will be a great judgment. And then finally, with lots of other stuff probably in between, finally, God will usher in a new heavens and a new earth, a new glorious Creation. Now, this is what that, this means. Now, there's three things that I want to bring out of this. How am I going time-wise? I'm doing okay, Steve. <laughs> okay. That's kind of basics, folks. That stuff, that's the basics. Now, the implications. Because I'm talking about the meaning of this life. And this is the part that I think we so easily get wrong. This is the part that causes the dissonance and the misunderstanding. Number one, this life in this world is a limited and transitory stage before an eternal and permanent state. You see all the emphasis in our culture, right? All of the emphasis, and this seeps in and affects us. All the emphasis is on the here and now. Oh, you've got one life and you've got to get it all together. You've got to have everything. You've got to go everywhere. You've got to experience everything. You've got to fulfill all your desires in here and now because this is all that there is. It's not. This is a limited and transitory stage before an eternal state. And we can start thinking like that. Oh no, there's almost this panic. Like I, some of this is gonna sound negative to you, what I'm gonna say here, but I want you to understand that for me, understanding these things is supremely liberating. Oh, so it's not just all about here and now. I mean, it's not to say that this life isn't important. This life is very important. And I'm gonna to explain to you why in a moment. But there's almost this panic. We have this... They used to say three score years and 10. We have this 
70, 80, 90 years, and we're going to cram everything good somehow. You know, we're going to, it's, like, it's like, you know, grasping, you know, having that's kind of our bag. And we're going to put as many things into the bag as possible, and we'd run around in a panic trying to fill our lives with stuff. Otherwise, oh, I miss out. I don't want to miss out because it's all about the here and now, isn't it? No, no. And I, I see Christians running around doing that. It's like, no, 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 that's not reality. It's the wrong map. And, they, and, and then when God doesn't help them to fill their bag with all the good stuff, they're like, God, why aren't you helping me? It's like, oh man, you, you just forgot what life's all about. And we're here to remember what life's all about. Because this life in this world is a limited and transitory stage before an eternal and permanent state. This life, folks, in this world is preparation for the next life in the next world. We should live in a transitory state. Peter talks about us being aliens and strangers in the world. Live, he said, as aliens and strangers, as sojourners, like nomads in a way. Like, yes, settle down and just like what, what um, the prophecy of Jeremiah said to the exiles, you know, it's like plant vineyards and invest and, and be good contributors to society and do all of those things, yes. But remember, it's all passing away. And that should be liberating. Live as strangers and aliens, sojourners in the world, Peter says. Our task here is to, and I'm gonna say more about this in a moment, our task here is to build a redemptive missional community. That's what the church is. Not a permanent utopia. Not a permanent utopia, like utopia, as in like this perfect world. Man, human beings have been given that a red hot go for hundreds of years. We're going to create a perfect world. You know, through the right politics and the right technology and the right philosophy, we're going to build a perfect world like a, like a heaven here. You know, it's man building his own heaven on earth. We have given that a red hot go for hundreds of years. I mean, really interested in the history of that process. A red hot go and it's all been a dismal, complete failure and still is, by the way. Because I know it's, and this is the thing in our time, is that there's this undying belief, oh, it's all, you know, we're, we're getting there. Every, it's... There's this belief, oh, we're going to create this, this heavenly you know, earth. We're going to create it. No, 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 no. All of this is going to crumble and fall. Praise the Lord for that. But you don't think that, do you? You think, oh, no. Hang on, but, 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 I, but I like it here. But I like it. But I, I, I even love it here. And yes, of course, because there's lots of beautiful things about the world and life that God has given. It's the goodness of God, right? But why does John say, do not love the world? Because the world system is severely broken and it's not getting less broken. You know the great catch cry throughout the New Testament? Do you know what the great catch cry... Summed up in the, in the Aramaic term, Maranatha. Does anyone know what Maranatha means? They would cry, Maranatha, it means, come Lord Jesus. That was the catch cry. Come Lord Jesus. We've lost that. Because we like it here. Oh no, I like it here. I don't want Jesus to come back. 
I've got my little heaven here. I've built my own little heaven. If that's where we are, we are lost. We're lost. We've lost our hope. We've lost perspective. And occasionally, reality will blow through the windows of your little heaven and you'll get a shock and you'll say, why doesn't God, why did God do that? It's like, yeah, because you weren't living in reality. Like it's, you know, there's so much about life that just isn't right. And so many of you have felt the sting of the fact that it's just not right here, right? And it's like, I just don't like this. You're not meant to. We're not meant to like it. Paul speaks about us groaning. He says that the world is fundamental. In Romans chapter eight, he says creation itself groans. And he says, and we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, this is the, the, the expression of the Spirit of God within us. He says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await for the coming redemption. Because the more your heart has been warmed by the presence of God and the inbreaking of the kingdom now, the more your heart has been warmed by the fireside of the kingdom of God now, the colder the world seems. And so we have joy in the warmth of the kingdom and yet we feel the cold of the world on our backs. Thirdly, actually secondly, I'm only up to the second one. Goodness me, thought I was further ahead. We're gonna be here all day. It's gonna be great, Steve. <laughs> Steve and I were reminiscing back in the day, back in the day, when it was like an hour sermon. It's all right, I'm not gonna go there, but you know, I think we've gotten soft, Steve. <laughs> secondly, this life, in this, oh, this is a kicker. Man, this is a kicker. This life in this world is imperfect, incomplete, and unresolved. This life in this world is imperfect, incomplete, and unresolved. In this life in this world, we will never fully reach God's ideals. We will never be completely whole. We will never reach complete fulfillment and we will never be completely happy because this is, because it's not finished yet. Because fulfillment is still in the future. I mean, people live their lives as though they are entitled to have all their desires fulfilled. How dare you tell me that God may not fulfill all of my desires here and now. But that's not what this is about because this life in this world is imperfect, incomplete, and unresolved. And thirdly, final fulfillment, healing, perfection, is only found in the new heavens and the new earth. Folks, that's future. Even if you experience the most dramatic healing now, and may you experience that, because the kingdom of God is breaking in 
continually to remind us and give us a taste of what is up ahead. But it's not so that we can get comfortable here, it's so that we can warm ourselves by the fire of the kingdom and realize how cold it actually is here. And so that we can cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, because I've had a taste and now I want the fullness. Final fulfillment is in the future. The purpose of this, I remember I was, I was talking to this about some of my students in my worldview class. I teach Christian worldview at the Melbourne School of Theology and I mentioned, uh, went through some of this stuff and, and remember the students looking at me and, and one student uh, very honestly asked, which was wonderful, asked, but, but, but then what's life all about? I said, that's a really good question. Like if it's not all about, because we're so conditioned, aren't we? By our world, oh, you should fulfill all your dreams and desires in this life. You've got one love, you must fulfill all of your dreams. And, or how dare you tell me that I can't fulfill all my dreams. And, I mean, we just, that's how we think in our culture. But the purpose of life is actually not to fulfill our dreams and desires. This life, in fact, is characterized. And this is what you see in the New Testament. This life is actually characterized in some sense by unfulfillment because the fullness is yet to come. God is fulfilling his purpose, but it is not complete until Jesus returns. And so this life is characterized by unfulfillment, which means you may not have the relationship you want, you may not be able to have children, you may not see the fruits of your labor, you may not receive due recognition, you will not reach your full potential, you will not receive justice, not in this life, you will not be fully happy, you will not never be fully healed, and you will not be fully restored, not in this life. You will often be hurt, bereaved, unloved, rejected, betrayed, you will always be imperfect, Incomplete, unfulfilled, and in some sense discontent. Praise your Lord. Ah, oh, this is good. Isn't this good news today? This is great. Do you know why this is great? Because it takes the pressure off like, oh, man, I've been running around trying to fill my backpack with all of these things. And, you t- and so I don't have to. It's like, you know, it's like someone with a, you know, at a, you know, at a table of food, just you know, run, put, filling their pockets with all the food. That's how we live. It's like relax, man. Just relax, because that's not what life is all about. This is good news today. All right. The purpose of life, I said we were going to go over the basics, didn't I? The purpose of life is the mission of Jesus. And this will often mean, often it will mean sacrificing your personal dreams and desires or even your very life. Listen to Paul's language. See, now that we understand and appreciate all of that, we can, you'll see this in every page of the New Testament. 
Listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter one. From verse 20. Put my glasses on because I'm not perfect yet. I eagerly expect, he says, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He was in prison. And Roman prisons weren't great places to be. But he wasn't frustrated and angry and entitled. They got me in prison, those bloody Romans. There, you know, like he, he could have been, he could have been angry and frustrated. But no, no, no. He says, actually, no. It's good, actually, here because I can be a witness to the prison guards here. See, because he didn't think that he was in. That he understood what life was all about. Life is all about mission. And so he said, even if I'm in a prison, well, it means mission. My mission must be here then. Because he understood that his very mortal life, his mortal fleeting life, was a seed of the kingdom. And whether by life or by death, he was going to plant that seed. And in the end, he was martyred for his faith. It was by death. I eagerly expect, he says, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you, he writes to the Philippians. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Okay. Convinced of this. Verse 25, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. I could just read the whole New Testament and it's that and more of that and more of life. This is what life is all about. Listen, let me picture it this way. You being here, right? it's like you got dropped out of a helicopter in hostile territory. You are like a troop, troops that got get dropped out of a helicopter in a hostile, I've used this illustration before, in hostile territory, territory, and you're told, okay, I'm dropping you here on this hill, here's your mission, go here, do that, set up camp, don't get, don't get drawn in, be really careful, be vigilant, in one week I'll pick you up on the other hill. Because life is short and there's an urgency and we have a mission. I'm dropping you off here, I'll pick you up there, don't get lost in between, stick to the mission or you'll miss your pickup. Don't get drawn away from this. Don't lose perspective, because <laughs> this life is a breath. It's gonna, who feels like their life is going by really, really quickly? Absolutely. I feel like I was 20 years old yesterday. I know some of you think I still, anyway. 
You got dropped out of a helicopter. You're, you, you're on a mission in this zone. Don't ever forget that. And when you get up tomorrow morning and you walk into your school, your workplace, your social situations, just remember, you represent Jesus. You're on mission. Don't try to do big things, because it's, 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 a, it's a big mission and it's unfolding like a seed becoming a tree. It's small increments, but God's got something for you. A little bit of light to shed, a little bit of blessing, a little bit more love, a little bit more blessing, a little bit more truth, just increment by increment. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. And I would suggest that you do. Well, that's all I've got today. I'm sort of... <laughs> Who's up for that? We up for that? That's why we come here, isn't it? To remember what life's all about. So let's stand together and get the music team to come up. And let's commit ourselves. Let's pray for our week. Let's pray for tomorrow. Let's pray that God will show us the opportunities we always miss because we're too busy running around trying to fill our backpack, all our dreams and desires. Let's pray that God opens our eyes to how each of us, no matter how seemingly insignificant you think you are, you're not. You have a small part to play, a little bit more truth, blessing, love. You have a part to play. Every single one of us can be part of that. No matter how unworthy you feel, no matter where you are, you can step in right now and you can begin. In fact, you can begin now. Why wait till tomorrow? But let's pray for tomorrow. That God will open our eyes to see the mission again. Like putting on those night vision goggles. Oh, this is what life is all about. May God do that for us. Father, we ask you, would you open our eyes, Lord? Oh, Lord, open our eyes. Lord, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds in order to know what your good and pleasing, perfect will is. Give us eyes, Lord, that see in the dark. Give us eyes to see in the dark. We would see, oh, this one needs some love. Oh, this one needs some blessing. Hey, can I pray for you? This one needs a little bit of hope. Father, give us vision to see in the dark to love where there is no love, to sow hope where there is no hope, to heal where there is brokenness, to bless where there is curse. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. To this sorry earth of ours that we have messed up so fundamentally. We praise you and thank you that you are coming soon. And we put our hope in you, Lord, and not in the things of this world. We put our trust in you and not in the things of this world. Set us free 
set us free. The truth will set you free. Can you say amen to that?